0: Good morning, I'm Bud Brainerd, I'm another one of the pastors here at uh, Lake Forest Davidson and I just want to say that I've noticed an infraction this morning. Some of you were talking to people you already knew and the instruction was find somebody you don't know and introduce yourself, but anyway, we're going to let that go for this time. We are glad that you're here. Uh, Lake Forest Davidson is a community made up of people who are cautious cautious or curious, or fully committed to following Jesus. doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. As long as you don't have it all together, you're going to fit right in. As we sit in this circle, we are reminded to ask ourselves the question, what is at the center of my life? What is the idea, the person, the thing around which my life uh, circles? And Jesus wants to be the center of your life. As a matter of fact, if you ever make him the center of your life, you will find that you have abundant life here on earth and everlasting life after that. This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series, uh, our post Easter sermon series, uh, which is uh, asking questions like, now what? So, uh, Jesus has had three years of ministry. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and the rest of us are sitting around saying, well, now what? what what's the next step for me in my Christian walk? What's the next step for me to take in order to grow in my faith? And so uh, it's, a, it's a good question. It's a question that was uh, asked by, uh, by the early Christians. Uh, you can imagine what it must have been like to have Jesus present with you for three years in person, and then all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. You know, Elvis left the building, right? Jesus left the earth, so that's a, that's a bigger deal. So we're going to ask that question, now what? What? you'll be surprised to know that the oldest answer to that question is also the best answer to that question. And the answer is, get connected in a Christ-centered group with others. That's the answer to the question, what's next? The earliest history that we have of the church is, uh, is recorded for us in the scriptures in, the, in a book called the book of Acts, sometimes called the Acts of the Apostle. It was written by a man named Luke. And Luke also wrote another book called the Gospel of Luke. And Luke records for us, he was, he was very careful about uh, about making sure that he had things recorded in the proper order. I want us to begin this morning by looking at how he starts his second book, the book of Acts, because that's where we're going to be. Acts 1, verses 1 and 2, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In the first book, that's a reference to the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you were to flip over to the Gospel of Luke and read the very beginning of that, he's also writing that book to Theophilus. Now, it is likely that Theophilus was a real, live, living, breathing individual. It is more likely that Theophilus is a uh, a title for a category of people. For instance... Davidson Wildcat Athletic Supporters. Now, why do I say that? I say that because Theophilus, the name, literally means lover of God. And what Luke is recording in his gospel, the things that Jesus began to do and teach, and what he records for us in the book of Acts are written to those who will come to love God. So what he writes, he writes specifically to you. There's a little phrase here that is really, the, I think, the key to interpreting the entire book of Acts. It's the phrase, uh, in, in Luke's gospel, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, think about that for just a minute. If the gospel that Luke writes in his first book is about all that Jesus began to do and teach, doesn't it seem logical that what we have in, the, in his second book, the book of Acts, is a continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach? The implication here is that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach through the Holy Spirit and in the church. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. But in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. That's Pentecost. That's, uh, that's going to come up in May. Pentecost is the, is the birthday of the church. It's when the Spirit comes down and fills all of those believers who have been followers of Jesus. And it's the formation of the church. Now, when you get a church formed, what's the first thing that you should do? Don't say take an offering. That comes, that comes later. The first thing you should do is you should have a sermon. So, in Acts chapter 2, we have recorded the very first sermon ever delivered to the church. It's preached by Peter. Now, we don't have an audio recording or a video recording because the AV team was off on that Sunday. But we do have recorded for us the words of the sermon, and it was a dandy. It was a really, really good sermon. How do we know that? Because Luke tells us in uh, at the end of that, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'd say that's a pretty good sermon. Now, imagine 3,000 new believers, brand new believers. What do you think they were asking after they were baptized and received into the church they were asking the very same question that we're dealing with in the sermon series and the question is now what now what i've been baptized i'm a member of the church now what do i do because if the decision to follow jesus is the beginning and not the end we have to ask the question what's the next step What do we do next? What can I do to learn, to grow, and to change? Where can I go to learn more about Jesus? Where can I go to have my curiosity satisfied? Now, those questions are not just limited to new believers. I know, and you probably do too, people who have been in the church for a long time who have demonstrated little or no Learning or growth or change. In 30 years as a pastor, I've had a lot of those people come into my office. And they come into my office with one thing in common envy. Envy. Because they will say to me, I have a friend, or I have a neighbor, or I have somebody in my church. And their faith is so vibrant. Their faith is alive. It's like they have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I don't have that. What do I need to do in order to get there? What they're asking is, what's the next step? Now, the fact that they're not there may not be because of a lack of desire. It could simply mean they really don't know what to do next. Now, for those who don't feel that they're experiencing the growth and change they'd hope for, there is a clear and specific next step to take. That step is identified in the verse immediately following Peter's sermon. That placement is is important. The sermon comes, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, and the very next thing Luke tells us is what they did. What was the next step that they took? And here it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So that's what they did. They found other people. Other people who are maybe asking the same questions they were. Others who were seeking direction for how to begin living out this new faith in Christ. They gathered together, uh, what was read to us earlier uh, after this in Acts, they gathered together in small groups, usually in homes. And that principle, that practice, as old and ancient as it is, has not been improved upon to this very day gathering together in small groups in homes is where that's where the next step is taking is taken in your walk with Christ. So small gatherings of people meeting in homes is where people are most likely to get their questions answered, most likely to find authentic community, most likely to find mutual support for the good and the hard times we each face in life. Each church has a different name for these groups, right? So some call them life groups, some call them small groups. Uh, Here at Lake Forest, we simply call them community groups. Now you've heard us talk about community groups in the past. The truth is God has created us for community. He has created us that way. The Christian life is never designed to be lived in isolation. Why? Because it's too hard. Think about it. We're living in a world which is constantly trying to talk us out of our faith. So living the Christian life is too hard to do on your own. So God has created us to live in community. That's the way we're designed. You know, all of our heroes demonstrate that for us. Right? Even the Lone Ranger had who? Who did the Lone Ranger have? Tonto. Right? Right? He was not alone abbott had costello batman had robin andy griffith had barney fife the skipper had gilligan jesus had 12 disciples that he walked with on a daily basis they walked together in community and community groups do meet on a regular basis most of them in our church meet either every week or every other week and i know that making a commitment to meeting on a weekly or semi-weekly basis is not an easy thing to do. It's what keeps a lot of people from making a commitment to a community group. I know it's not easy, but nobody ever said it would be. The truth is that spiritual growth will not happen without commitment. And that's the very first thing that we see in this verse. It says that they devoted themselves to these things. Eugene Peterson in the message says, they made a commitment to doing these things. Now once upon a time, in a land far, far away, I was a member of a high school golf team that was actually a pretty talented team. Over three years, we won the state championship twice and we came in second the year in between. There were a bunch of us on that team who kind of dreamed and imagined that we would play professional golf someday. We really wished for that to happen. We had one member of our team, however, who was devoted to that dream. He was committed to doing everything that was required in order for him to learn and to grow and to change into becoming a golfer that could play at that level. Jay Haas, my teammate, went on to win the NCAA championship, the individual championship. He went on to play on the PGA Tour. He won nine times on the PGA Tour. He won his first major in the Champions Tour. We used to call it the Seniors Tour, but we got very sensitive about that, so we call it the Champions Tour. He was a member of the President's Cup team. He was a member of three Ryder Cup teams. And the only thing that separated Jay Haas from the rest of us was that he made a commitment. He was willing to devote himself to practice to get better. So, Luke tells us to become a devoted follower of Jesus The first believers devoted themselves to four things. So, the first thing is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's real simple. It simply means they devoted themselves to the record of what the apostles were teaching at the time. We have that written for us. It's called the Bible, right? And so, one of the things that we do in community groups is we study the Bible, It's best done in a small group. I don't want to minimize the fact that you should read Scripture on your own, but reading it in a small group is far superior to that because you get different perspectives. You have different people asking questions that you were afraid to ask. Now, it makes sense that reading in a small group permits that kind of interaction. There may actually be somebody in your group who can help you understand the parts that are unclear to you. But don't let your lack of Bible knowledge stop you from joining a group. Bible study should not be intimidating. But it is for many people, isn't it? Not knowing about the Bible does not disqualify you from being a part of a study. Not knowing is what makes you eligible and a great candidate for Bible study. Does that make sense? Don't let the fact that you don't know keep you from learning. There's a lot of great stuff in the Bible. It's a a fantastic book. There are all kinds of genres. There's there's poetry. There's prose. There's uh, stories of political intrigue, warfare. Uh, you name it, it's it's all in there. It's a great book to study. As a matter of fact, if you study the scriptures, what you find is that a lot of the things we say to one another all the time really originate from scripture. Things like, uh, you know, it's like the blind leading the blind. right? That's a direct quote from scripture. Or uh, it's just a drop in the bucket, a quote from Isaiah 40. Or, you should go the extra mile. That's Matthew 5. Or nothing but skin and bones. Or or from Daniel 5, the writing's on the wall. That's when you know what's going to happen, right? Because you can see it because the writing is on the wall. The second thing they devoted themselves to was to fellowship. Fellowship is is simply a, the, the, the Greek word there simply means a deep, personal relationship it's where you are caring for one another it's where you you are known and where you are uh, knowing others it's that deeper level of relationship now the first Christians found that doing life together was far better than doing life alone but I don't imagine that that was easy and I don't imagine that that was convenient they may not have been quite as busy as we are back in those days but their days were still full The early Christians needed to be reminded of how important it was to make these gatherings a priority. So in Hebrews, they write to the early Christians and they encourage them. They say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Community groups for a lot of people are the family that they had always wanted. Now, not every community group is, is non-dysfunctional. I guess that's the way we should put that. Uh, but for the most part, community groups are, are, are pretty healthy, pretty healthy groups. And if you came from a family that was not able to give you acceptance and support and forgiveness and encouragement, a community group is a place where you just might find those things. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Some of our closest friends are from community group. If you were to ask me to name my closest friends, every one of them was a member of a community group that I've been a part of going all the way back to the mid-70s. That's at 1970, not 1870, 1970 but my closest friends are in community groups because we got to know one another. We got to support one another. So if you're new to the area or if you're new to this church and you want to meet some new people, let me encourage you to consider being brave enough to sign up for a community group. This might get you there. The third thing was they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. There should always be a little food at these community groups. You should be able to eat together. Some really great things happen when we eat meals with one another. Great conversations take place around food. And we learn about one another and in doing so we learn how to love one another better. And then finally they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is not easy for some people. It's harder for some than for others. But here's what you need to know. God is really easy to talk to. I, I have that on the highest authority. God is really easy to talk to. Now, if you're, if you're scared to death of, of being asked to pray out loud in a group, fear not. Nobody's going to put you on the spot in a community group. You'll never be asked to do that. If you want to do that, that's great. But it's not a place for you to come and to demonstrate your prowess in prayer. So it's a safe place uh, for you to learn uh, how to increase your prayer life. About half of the adults at Lake Forest are in community groups right now. Uh, The other half have not made that step yet. So if you're in a community group, here's the participation part of this morning. If you are currently in a community group, would you raise your hand? Keep it up. Raise it real high. Higher. Stretch. All right, now keep, keep them up. Everybody else, look at those people. I want you to remember who they are. You can put your hands down. Now, the first question for those of you who did not raise your hands is this. Do those people look scary to you? Yeah, they're really not that scary. I, I've, been, I've been working with community groups here for three years, and so far, nobody's been bitten, all right? So it's, it's a safe place. I wanted you to see the folks that were in community groups. They're people just like you, and they would love to have you join them. Now, the rest of you who didn't, didn't raise your hand, uh, I'm assuming you have a good excuse. Or you have an excuse. And there are a lot of excuses on, on why you're not in a community group, why you haven't made that next step, that what now, what's next step. So I'm going to give you the four that I hear the most. And you can pick from one of these if you don't have an excuse, you're just not in a group, you can pick from one of these. Or you can say, yeah, yeah, that was my excuse. The first one is this. I don't have time for one more thing. I just, I don't have time to do that. So, Maybe this isn't the right time for you to be in a community group. I'm the first to say that. Life goes through all kinds of phases and changes, and maybe this isn't the time for you to be in a community group. But maybe it is the time, and you just have to rearrange some things. You have to be committed. You have to be devoted to this next step of faith. So how might you rearrange and edit your schedule to make time for this, to, keep, to be in a group that will help you keep Christ at the center of your life? The second excuse that I hear a lot is, meeting new people comes easier for some people, but not for me. I get that. I mean, this is easy stuff for extroverts. Extroverts love to be parachute-dropped into a group of people they don't know and they're just going to talk to everybody, and it's so easy, it's like breathing for them. But introverts, that's a different thing. And God has wired each one of us up differently. And so it could be that it is going to be harder for you. But do you believe for a moment that the 3,000 people who joined the church after that first sermon were all extroverts? I don't. Or do you even think that everybody who raised their hand a minute ago are all extroverts? I know they're not. And so take the risk. It would be a mistake to think that everybody who is in a community group just loves to meet new people and be in new groups. That's not the case. It's a big step of faith for many of them to come and to make that first visit to a community group. And yet, I'll bet if you ask them, they would tell you it's one of the best decisions they've ever made. It was worth the risk. So there's a third excuse that I hear quite a bit, and that's this one. I have all the friends I need. I don't, I don't need to meet a new group of friends. I got all the friends I need. And again, that may be true. But here's a question to ask yourself. As you think about those other groups of friends, whether it's, whether it's uh, a golf group or, or whether it's uh, bowling or knitting or you know, whatever it is, are those groups Christ-centered groups? Now, please do not hear me saying that you should only hang out with Christians. That is not what I'm saying at all. That would be a terrible life. Another, Worse than that, it's not the life God wants for us. God wants us to be in the world. But if we don't have that one centered group that we're a part of, it's really hard to be in the world and not be carried away. So there's great strength in numbers. This needs to be a part of the mix, and if you've got lots of friends, God bless you. Uh, gather them together and start a community group. We'll help you do that. And the last thing is, I don't know anything about the Bible. We've talked about this a little bit uh, before. Uh Kind of let me see if I'm hearing that right. You don't know enough about the Bible to join a group that's going to read it together and study it together? That that's really doesn't make any sense at all. If you've got questions about the Bible, if you've got questions about Jesus, if you've got questions about what's your next step, if you're examining your life and you're saying, you know what, truth be told, I'll never tell anybody else about this, but in my head I'm thinking, I'm not where I'd like to be. I'm not where I'd like to be in my Christian faith. If you want to know what the next step is, the next step is to get into one of these groups. It may not seem like the natural thing to do, but it is the necessary thing to do if you want to grow in your faith. In Christ-centered community, people encourage one another rather than judge one another. In Christ-centered community, we learn the importance of serving and of being served. Most of the people who attend this church are much more comfortable serving than in being served. Let's just admit it. But have you ever thought about how those two are inextricably linked? How they are dependent on one another? Who could you serve if no one needed to be served. And so there are times when we need to say, I need to be served. I need, I need help. I need somebody to do this for me. And that's where your community group steps, steps right in. Or you could call Michael, and Michael would be glad to do all that too. In Christ-centered community, vulnerability is more valued than invincibility, and it's where we discover the abundant life that Jesus promised to us. If you don't feel like that abundant life is where you are, it could be that you need to take this next step. And so I'm going to give you three ways to take it. We're going to get real practical, and then we're going to close. These are are three different ways you can take this next step. Number one, you can talk to somebody who raised their hand, and they can help. Number two, you can indicate your interest in In exploring a community group, on the prayer card, there's a little box that you can check. You just check that box, and you drop it in the jeans pocket when it comes by. Just make sure your contact, a way for us to get a hold of you is on the other side. Otherwise, we won't be able to to follow up with you. And then the third thing is you can email me or you can catch me and say, Hey, you know what? I've never been in a community group before, and I'm a little nervous about that. But uh, if you could help me find one that wouldn't bite me, Uh, then I might be willing to to give it a shot. So let me encourage you to set aside those excuses, face your fears, take the risk, make the commitment, the payoff is well worth it. This is what the first Christians did. This idea of gathering in small, Christ-centered community was designed by the one who designed you. And he designed it with you in mind. This is a natural and normal step in the Christian faith. Let's pray together. Lord, you know us um, even better than we know ourselves. And you know that some of us have never even entertained the thought because if the thought comes in all types of fears and excuses well up within us and it's just easier not to make a change God I help you I ask you to to speak to us and to help us discover what you have for us if we're stuck in our faith help us take the next step Lord we can see what you began to teach and do What we're asking is for you to help us join in the party. Help us do the things that lead to the abundant life that you promised to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship together.
1: There's beauty in my brokenness I've got true love instead of shame There's freedom though you've captured me I've got joy instead of mourning There's beauty in my brokenness and I've got true love instead of shame. There's freedom though you captured me. I've got joy instead of mourning. You give me joy down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. You give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. There's beauty in my brokenness And I've got true love instead of shame Oh, there's freedom, though you captured me And I've got joy instead of mourning There's beauty, there's beauty in my brokenness Oh, and I've got true love instead of shame freedom, though you captured me, and I've got joy instead of mourning, you give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, you give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul presence in your presence there is freedom in your presence there is fullness in your presence there is joy joy forevermore ever, is in your presence there is freedom in your presence there is fullness in your presence there is joy joy forevermore ever, I've never been so free, caught in your love for me. I've never been more secure knowing your are Lord. I've never been so free, caught in your love for me. And I've never been more secure knowing your are Lord. I've never been so free, caught in your love for me.